Good morning, everybody. God bless Texas. Yeah, that's good. Now, personally, I'm an Okie. And the greatest thing about being an Okie is, is whipping a Texan. And that's what we think about you. We don't care if we lose every football game of the season, but if we beat Texas, there's a God in heaven, and he loves us. Now, uh, Genesis 2.18, it says, uh, it's not good for man to be alone, God said. I'm going to make a helper for him. Now, you have to understand, Adam had a really good deal going on. I mean, it was just him and God and the birds, the bees, the flowers and trees. And life was good. Economy was great. Uh, food was free. Clothes were cheap. It was just good. And so all of a sudden, God's talking about his creation. He said everything was good. Good, 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 very good. And all of a sudden, God said, not good. When God said not good, he was looking at Adam. Adam said, what's not good? You. You're alone. Not good. They laid down here and take a nap, and we're going to fix that for you. And Adam woke up, missing the rib, and looking at Eve. And he said, ooh, thank you, Father. He said, I thought you might like that. And they went off to fellowship together that day, and they didn't feed the camels or anything. They just too busy. Sucking lips off each other's face, I guess, just having a good time. Well, the problem is Lucifer had already been uh, fired from his job, kicked out of heaven. He's down here, and he walked into the first family, and gum flapped him out of everything. He got them to sin. Sin's got death attached to it. So Adam and Eve got fired from their job, evicted from their house, and their kids started killing each other. And that's in Genesis. It kind of goes downhill from there until you get to the silent night, holy night, we through kings of Orinar part, and that's a really good part. So if you've got those photos, I'm going to show you something, because when you talk on family, uh, people think, well, we don't know if you have a family. I don't know. i, I got a family. Now, this, that's Denise. That's the love of my life. We'll celebrate 45 years of marriage in two weeks. So uh, those are my girls. We had five girls. Uh, on the right, that's Sarah Elizabeth. That was our oldest. She sort of came out like an adult. She never did talk baby talk. She'd say stuff like, pass the oatmeal. I thought, Okay. And so she taught all the other kids how to read. So she always did well in school, uh, made straight A's. That doesn't mean she told the truth and kept her room clean. Because a gift doesn't take you to heaven. Jesus takes you to heaven. Your gift is to use to serve your fellow man down here. So don't ever confuse those two. But she was incredibly gifted, and she's born again. So she's a college professor at Northeastern State, a big English professor, doing really good. Next to her is Jessica. That's our second child. And we thought the hospital made a mistake because... She came out blonde hair, blue-eyed, left-handed. And I thought, that's not my baby. That's, that's somebody else's baby. So, so, no, no, we checked the DNA. It's ours. God's just a creative God. And so Jessica, Sarah would leave the house always dressed up immaculate. Jessica put on some sweats and a bobby pin. They were so different. But Sarah was real good in academics. Jessica was real good in athletics. Jessica was a three-point shooting champion in Oklahoma junior year. All-state basketball player. Went to college on a basketball scholarship. Third daughter over on the left, that was our middle child, that was Corey. Corey was the meanest of all my kids, just, just mean as a striped snake. And, uh, but she never lost her temper. She, she's never, I've known her her whole life. She's ne- if she's ever cussed, I've not heard it. Never lost her temper, never raised her voice. She's just real, real solid. And uh, I, I, she's been kicked out of every ball game. She was captain of her volleyball team, basketball team, soccer team. She always got kicked out. And she's a real petite little girl. And the reason they would kick her out, she, she would trip people. She was real quick, and it took her about a year and a half for the refs to catch on to her in Tulsa, and they finally started kicking her out. And so, and so I used to ask her, you know, what's wrong with you? She said, I hate being a middle child. I am a middle child, and I hate it. I said, why? I get nothing new. I get nothing new. That's right. We bought good stuff. It still fits. Put it on. 
And so one day I had to sit her down and I had to tell her the story about being a middle child. I said, have you ever heard of a Madeline Manning Mims, the great Olympic track star? She said, yeah. I said, well, you know, her mother used to get up every morning at 5 o'clock, take her down three flights of stairs and run her around the block early every morning before she went to school. Madeline can figure out why. She was born with bad lungs. Mom wasn't trying to make her a track star. Mom's trying to keep her alive. And so Madeline said, I went back up and sat down on the bed one morning, and it dawned on me that I never saw any of my other classmates running around the block at 5 a.m. I asked my mother, Mom, why do you make me get up and run around the block every morning at 5 o'clock? She said, my mother sat down on the bed next to me. She said, baby, you're not going where the other children are going. The price you pay is different. And I made a plaque out of that because the Bible says, do not compare yourselves among yourselves. We got six kids, no two are the same. I never looked at report cards at the same time. I never talked to them because they're all gifted different. They all came out different. God's a creative God. So, yeah, Corey ran her mouth all the time. I thought, well, she could cut you verbally and not yell. I said, did you just cut me? And she looked, Dad, I'm sorry, what? You heard what I said. Did you just cut me? I don't know, Dad. How did you take it? I don't know. How did you mean it? <laughs> and so I said, we've got to put that mouth to work. So she made her in journalism. She owns half my publishing company today. She turned out really good. Uh, the one in the middle of the white dress there, that's Tessa. Tessa loved, she loved medical shows as a child, you know, heart surgery, somebody's heart laying out on her chest. And I said, turn that stuff off. What's wrong with you? But she loves stuff like that. And so, uh, she's a medical science major. Anyhow, she'd go to camp. And I'd say, how's your day today? And she's, dad, it was a great day. We had put an eyeball back in, 12 stitches. We set a broken bone. It was an awesome day. <laughs> I said, you are not normal. You are not normal. So her and the husband just got back to Uganda. They do medical mission trips all the time, and she's just thrilled. Next to her is Lauren Grace. That was my fifth daughter. I figured we ran out of good genes when she showed up. She'd get up in the morning and put on five layers of clothes, you know, like she couldn't make up her mind. She'd walk out back, and we'd live out on the side of a little mountain in Oklahoma. And she'd twirl in the woods and sing to trees and squirrels. And I told my wife one day, I'm looking out the window, I said, we ran out of good genes. We ran out of good genes. I don't know what happened. And so I'd always ask my kids because we grew up in very poor families. Uh, uh, my father had 12 brothers and sisters, and my father-in-law had 12 brothers and sisters from mining families. Nobody went to college. Uh, good people, hard workers. My father-in-law dropped out of the 8th grade. My dad went through the 12th grade twice, still didn't graduate. So we came from a hardworking, uh, Bible-toting, went to church, paid their tithe, but ignorant family. I thought, we've got to bust this curse, so all my kids are going to go to college. If I have to drag you by the hair of your head, you're all going to go. And so when Lauren came along, I said, okay, it's getting close, babe. You're in the ninth grade. What do you want to major in? And she said, I want to major in interior design. In what? <laughs> I want to major in interior design. What is that? Well, they have a degree where you major in interior design. You're not going to major in something stupid. You're going to major in something to help somebody. The world's dying going to hell. You're going to major in something to help somebody. Now, Lauren's the fifth one, so she knew me real good. She said, well, I'll get back with you, Dad. So about three months later, she came back and said, Dad, have a seat. She had a stack of scriptures that choke a horse. She said, now, Dad, when you get to heaven, you're going to be impressed. The gates are made out of pearl, one solid pearl, biggest oyster in the world, one solid pearl. You're going to walk in on streets of gold so pure you can see through them. When you get to the throne, there's four angels around the throne. They have six wings and not two. They've got eyeballs on every side of their head. There's a laser light show going on behind the throne of God. He said, she said, Martha Stewart did not decorate heaven. God's real big into interior design. And she, she went through all the scriptures on the tabernacle of the temple. After about an hour, I'm just dumbfounded. I said, fine, whatever, major interior design. 
So uh, she graduated this last May, had a job for her. She got out of school, and she's making more money than my other five kids combined, and I'm sorry. I fought that her whole life. So. The next picture, you got that next one. You know, I figured after five girls, I had, I had no male genes in me, but this was number six. That's my son. Now, people want to always want to know, said, do you want to know what it is? I said, no. That's like opening a Christmas present Christmas Eve. I don't know when it, I'll wait till it comes out. So I assume after three girls trying to have a boy, I have no male genes because that's, the male determines that. So when John popped out at 2 a.m. at the hospital, I thought, oh, my goodness, he, he got a thing. We got, we got a male. We got a male in the family. And, man, I, I danced all over the living room, and I leaned over to Denise, and, and Denise always, she did real good in childbirth. And she's crying. She never cried. I said, baby, are you okay? And they're cutting the cord, cleaning up John. Are you okay? And she muttered something I couldn't hear. I said, what did you say? You? And she said, we'll need to have another one. We'll need to have another. He'll need somebody to play with. And I said, he's got five sessions to play with. We're good. Trust me. We're good right there. And those girls made sure he was all male, buddy. He was something. And uh, John's the quietest of all my kids. I'm, he and I are opposite. I talk all the time. He, already, he never talks. And so people come up when he was five, and they'd say, you have a boy. And they'd be, well, what's your name? He just poker face. All of a sudden, a sister said, his name's John. <laughs> well, how old are you, John? And he just stare at you. And someone said, he's five. And John learned early, if you'll keep your mouth shut, the women will talk for you for the rest of your life. <laughs> so he's majoring in business. He's got a year to go uh, get out of college. He's already engaged. So we're, we're having a good time watching that thing run through. Um, I'm going to give you a couple stories. I talk real fast. I don't mean to. When I was in the Army, my drill instructor said, we didn't know Southerners talk fast. I said, I don't talk fast. I talk normal. Because you grew up in a big family full of women, you better get it said quick. Because they don't let you take turns. You have to jump in real quick. Uh, I was working as a uh, a process engineer. I got out of the Army, got married, and he's just turned 18, I just turned 20, and uh, I'm in love, and uh, I don't know anything about love. Everybody gets, you, just, you only do basic things in life, I learned. You get out of school, you get out of the Army, you get married, you get a job, and then you wait till you die. That's pretty much it. And so I've done everything except die. And so uh, when Denise and I got married, we just, I, I fell in love. I didn't date, I never dated in high school. I didn't get my driver's license until I was 18. We didn't have a car. When I tell you we're poor, you cannot imagine what I'm talking about. In the Appalachian Mountains of East Tennessee, you're lucky if you just got something to eat. And so, uh, so I didn't get my driver's license. I got a great little high school. I walk about a half mile to my high school. My mom ran the high school cafeteria for 30 years. So I still love cafeteria food. I love chili mac. It's real good. And so, uh, so anyhow, every Friday night after ball games, that's when we visit. Girls would visit guys, guys with girls. You know, we didn't go on a date. We just hung out together. Go to somebody's house or whatever. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm, go, I'm just finished my first year in college. I went to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and um, breaking the family curse, finally going to college. And had a car, got a nice car my uncle got me. And I'm dropping my sister off at a softball field. We all played sports, and she's going to play in a tournament all day, and I'm going to go bail some hay. So I drop her off. I'm letting her go by the car, and all of a sudden this gal comes walking in front of my car. It's like, and, and I've seen girls. We had girls in my house. We had pretty girls. And then when she walked by, she just looked up at me, had her uniform on, carrying a ball glove, and carrying her shoes, and she just stared at me. When she stared at me, I, I was smitten. Like somebody slapped me with something like, whoa, whoa. And I thought, so if she was here, Denise would say that I stalked her for two months. But I didn't because that word was not an English dictionary yet. I didn't stalk her. I just followed her around. That, that's all I did. 
So my buddy and I, we'd go watch her play softball, and we'd yell at her from the stands, you know, and every time she got up to bat. And now, our families knew each other, sort of. Our fathers worked for the same company for 30 years. Our families went to the same church. Uh, we went to the same school. She was just two years behind me. And so uh, we'd yell. And about the last inning, I knew before the game ended, I was incredibly shy. I took Fs on all oral book reports in elementary, junior high, high school, and college. I don't talk to anybody, and you can't make me. And so it was just sort of a wacky deal. People said, what happened to you? Well, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. My life flipped upside down. I don't know what else to say. And so I don't know how to say to her. I know she's pretty. Yeah, I just don't know what to say to her. So I'd leave the game before the last inning so I wouldn't have to talk to her. Well, it's thin light. It's late in August, and I get in the car. It's hot night and dusty, and I'm getting, I crank my car up. And somebody knocked on my window, and I looked up, and it was her. And I thought, oh, no, it's her. So I rolled my window down, and she just leaned in, and she said, are you going to ask me out or not? And I just sort of stared for a minute, and I said, yes. And that was all I said. I don't know what else to say. She said, well, how about coming to my house Sunday evening for dinner, 5 o'clock? Yes. And that's all I said. So I showed up Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, and she holds the door up, and I walk in the house, and when I walk by her, she smelled good. And I knew she looked good. I already got that part figured out. That is a good-looking woman. When I walk by, she smelled, well, I'm just an ignorant hillbilly. So when I walk by, I went... That's, that's something incredibly romantic. Said, God, you smell good. And then we ate dinner, and she cooked good. Man, she looked good. She smelled good. She cooked. So I went three nights in a row. I just kept going back. So Tuesday night, I'm leaving after dinner like I did every night. I'm walking out the sidewalk. She's standing at the door. I'm going to my car. And it was the third night. She yelled at me long before the country song came out. She said, are you going to kiss me or not? I remember I turned around, and I looked for a minute, and I said, Yes. And I did, and better we kiss. And that, is a, that is a good kissing woman. I'll tell you, we do not have six children because we love children. Children were not on my mind. I wasn't thinking about children. So we get married, and, then, and you know, it didn't take long after we got married. It's like we started talking. We never talked. We just went on dates and ate pizza, went to a movie and kissed. We don't talk. And so... So she started talking about two weeks in our marriage, and we're having breakfast, and I got a job. I had a good job. She wouldn't marry me, though, because it didn't have any health insurance. So I took a minimum wage job as a janitor at a factory so I get health insurance in case she got pregnant. We could pay for the baby. So here we are. She's working for the phone company, Swing Shift. I'm working Swing Shift. We're finally off Saturday morning, two weeks in our marriage, eating pancakes on a Sunday morning. Now, my lips are raw. I've kissed so much because... We were virgins when we got married. It wasn't because we were holy, because I went to a good Southern Baptist church that preached hellfire damnation. I feared hell. I do not want to go to hell. You love Jesus? I don't know much about Jesus, but I do not want to go to hell. <laughs> and so I remember, you know, we go on dates, and I, I, I was carnal. I wasn't no water walker. I mean, I fear God, but then we get to kissing like the French and the Germans and the Poles and the Australians. Kind of do a whole world tour, you know. Man, that blood gets to run, and I kept thinking, you know, tonight's the night, you know. And every time I get to thinking about it, nope, nope, no, we're going to get right in the middle of this, and a trumpet's going to sound. <laughs> and Jesus is going to come back, and I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> and there is no sex worth going to hell, I'll tell you that right now. So the fear of God kept us. So we're making up for lost time, man. We've been sucking lips off each other's faces. The pancake syrup that morning was hot, so it felt so good. So I'm just, mm, man. So then he said, Joe, let's talk about her future. And I said, okay. And she's never yelled. She, she just talks normally. She's, she can be mean, but she doesn't yell. He said, Joe, let's talk about her future. She said, Joe, you need a better job. I said, I had a better job. I took a worse one to marry you. 
No, you need a better job with benefits. I said, I know that, as long as you know that. And then she said, well, Joe, do you want to have any children? I said, what? Do you want to have some children? Sure, I want to have children. How many do you want? Well, baby, that's up to you. You're the one that's going to be having them. How many do you want? She said, I want five. I thought, well, that's better than 12. We can get all those in the back of a pickup truck. I like that. I said, that sounds good to me. And then she said, when do you want to have them? I said, again, baby, that's up to you. You're having them. She said, well, I want to wait five years. Do we have our own house and got our own car and better money and a better place and furniture? So sure enough, January 1st, 1977, we had our first baby, and 18 months later, we had our second baby. Uh, I think God does above me on all you could ask or think. Those last three came in two and a half years. If I looked at me, she got pregnant. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Having six children will not make you holy and famous. Having six children will make you insane and broke if you don't know what to do with them once they show up. <laughs> the Bible says children are a reward from God, and Proverbs says that. But there's two lists of rewards. The Bible says children can bring you sorrow, shame, cost you money. The same Bible and Proverbs says they'll bring you honor, peace, and prosperity. And I realized early I was on the wrong list. I'm on the wrong list. How do I get on the right list? And so I realized it had to do with the Word of God. So I'm working in Sykes, Missouri as a process engineer. I'm not a mechanical engineer. I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm a process. I work for three different companies, four years each. I am trained to solve problems. I'm a problem solver. That's what I get paid for. If there are no problems, I don't get paid. So I was trained for ministry. Because I realized I went in the ministry. What are you doing? Solving problems. We're a problem-solving machine. They asked Jesus. Jesus up above the Sea of Galilee, and he's asking his boys, right before the cross thing shows up, he's asking the boys, he's doing a survey, and he said, in Matthew 16, he said, boys, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, Lord, they're not sure. You're, you're, you're not normal. You're a former dead person who's come back, you know, like Elijah or Elijah or something. You know, those 5,000 happy meals, that, that's not normal. Now, walking on the water the other night, that's not normal. And raising that dead kid, not normal. You're not normal. And Jesus asked him, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up as he always did. And he said, you're the man. You're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting on. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And based on the fact you know who I am and why I'm here, Based on that fact and that fact alone, I'm going to build me a church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Jesus did not find a church. He built one. You didn't find this building. You built it. We didn't find a country. We built it. You don't find a marriage. You build one. You don't find a family. You build one. If you're not willing to build it, it's probably not going to go good. Jesus said, I'll build my church the gates of hell. Now, that's an interesting statement. The gates of hell... We're not behind the gate. Hell's got everything locked up behind the gate. The devil came here, got this planet from Adam and Eve legally, became God of this world. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, he is the temporary, little g, God of this planet. John 10.10, 10, he kills, steals, and destroys. Now, we've got a big family because they don't read their Bible anymore. So why did God let that happen? Why did God let that happen? God's not in charge. He gave this planet to Adam. Adam gave it away. That's why I've taught intercession prayer for 10 years. It was a revelation for people. About prayer. I said, prayer is not a religious thing. Prayer is a legal thing. Jesus said eight times in the New Testament, you have not because you ask not. I know what you need before you ask, but I need you to ask. Ask that your joy might be made full. But religion got into this years ago, and we thought, well, as soon as I clean my life up, as soon as I go a week without cussing and just a month without drinking and, and just read my Bible two days in a row, I believe God will help me. No, he'll help you right now. God loves sinners. Jesus died for sinners. God reached out to sinners. God's a loving God. But because we don't know the word and the truth, we've just, we sort of staggered going toward God. We're to run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy and help in time of need. 
Mercy is when I meditate, I premeditate a sin on purpose. It'd be like you're running to heaven all out of breath. And Father says, hey, son, how you doing? Pretty good? Pretty good. What you doing? I thought I'd come hang out. And say, you doing all right? I think so. Are you in trouble? I don't know. Have you sinned? Might have. Was it an accident? No. You did it on purpose? Uh-huh. How's it working out? Not too good. So we have to learn from the Word of God. When we sin, we're to run to God to get mercy to help, not from God to clean our life up. We can't clean our life up. Only God can do that. So we get the thing of marriage, man. That's why in the early years, at least now, we fought like cats and dogs, man. It was like, it didn't take long for we would say, shut up. You tell me to shut up. You can't tell me. You shut up. You shut up. You're just like your father. Don't you talk about my father. You're just like your mother. Don't you talk about my mother. And, buddy, it was on because life and death is in the power of the tongue. So we, I remember my buddies could not understand because my wife's a beautiful gal and everybody knew her family. And, and Pete said, what's wrong with your marriage? I said, I married a she-bear from the south side of hell. <laughs> no, I said it ugly than I'm cleaning it up for church. They said, well, she sure is pretty. Uh-huh. The devil's good looking too. Did you ever read that in Isaiah? <laughs> Now, thank goodness, a spirit-filled businessman that I was working for made me come to his Bible study every Friday night. Had to bring our wives. I didn't go because I loved Jesus. I went because I needed a raise. So I bought my new Schofield Bible, and I'm sitting there, and it was about the sixth night. I'm the only one not asking questions. This is looking kind of stupid. Everybody else is participating except me. Now I'm learning the lingo. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, I don't have a clue. So finally, the sixth night, I was sharing with pastor this morning. Finally, the sixth night, I thought, I've got to do something here. So I raised my hand up and Bill, he's my boss in this big, beautiful den downstairs. We're all there, all 11 technicians and their wives. I said, Bill, he said, what is it, Joe? Bill, what? Because we have our Bible. I said, what page are you on? <laughs> he said, well, Joe, what kind of Bible do you have? I have an American Bible. <laughs> no, Joe, what translation is it? It's in English. <laughs> and that was an embarrassing night, and I realized that night that I've carried my Bible around my whole life like I'm Tinkerbell with a magic wand, but I've never read it. So it took me six weeks to go from Matthew to Revelation. I'm trying to catch up real quick. Long story short, uh, Denise and I rededicated our lives, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and we got in church. The most powerful thing on this planet is the local church. There is nothing more powerful than the body of Christ. We scare hell. Every day we wake up, hell breaks out into a cold sweat. Oh, man, they're up. They're up. That's right, big boy. Try to imagine them interviewing Jesus. Imagine CNN was around in Jesus' day, and they come up and say, well, hey, Jesus, what you got planned today? I got a busy day planned. See, this morning I'm going to put some eyeballs on a blind man's head down here. Then I'm going to grow me a hand out to church service. That's going to get them all wound up. Heading out to Bethany, I'm going to raise a dead kid at a funeral. Then I'm going to have 5,000 Happy Meals there on the hillside. Got myself a busy day. What do you plan to do today? Plan to whip some hell. I'm going to hell whip them up. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But most Christians, I just hope we can have one normal day. I just want to have one normal day when nothing breaks or goes wrong. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Welcome to planet Earth. That's why Ephesians 6 says you've got to get your armor on. What are you looking for? I'm looking for hell. I'm not running from hell. I'm looking for hell. And if you're not looking for it, it'll chase you down. So anyhow, let's do this because this is the eight-hour seminar I'm going to do in 20 minutes. And you're going to get this real good. I'm working as an engineer, process engineer. I solve problems. Uh, we just bought a big, a big new breakdown machine. Suck a half million dollars into it. 
Our company had been Jewett City, New Jersey. Those working dishes were not good. We moved to the middle of America, Sykes, Missouri. Had about 12,000 people, but we get guys that know how to work, good, hard-working farmers, and it's a lot lower cost of living. It's going to be good. Well, the plant's old. It was built during World War II to build airplanes. And so World War II ended. They shut the plant down. It's been empty for 30 years. Big old massive long plant, one story. So we took it over, brought our big machines in, had to redo some concrete and stuff. So uh, we're trying to make We've had two layoffs, two Christmases in a row. It's not going good. We're struggling. So we bought this new machine. It's right at the back of the plant. It takes big copper rod, breaks it down into wire. We made all kinds of copper, 18-gauge, 12-gauge, 14-gauge. You name it, we made it all. So this machine's feeding the whole plant. So we bought it about two weeks old. Two weeks into it, I get a call about 2 o'clock in the morning. I live out in the country about 11 miles. Hey, Joe, Joe, the rod break the machine, it just stopped working. What, did you check the breaker? Yeah. Did you check? Yeah. Give me 20 minutes, I'll be in there. So I go in. Now, by the time I get there, the plant manager's there, the, the foreman, they're all there. And there's a, it's at the back of the plant. It's the middle of July. It's hot. Mosquitoes are flying in. And there's no air conditioning plant. And so... I walk out and do the basic thing I've always done. Okay, have you checked this? Yes, have you checked this? Have you checked this? Yes, yes. Usually 95% of the time in those 12 years of working, I'd ask this question. Where's the handbook? And every time, nobody knew. Every time. What? The handbook. See, the machine came with a handbook. You know, if you buy a washing machine from Sears, it comes with a handbook. You buy a computer from Apple, it comes with a handbook. You buy a blender from Walmart, it comes with a handbook. You buy a pickup from Ford, it comes with a handbook. Everything comes with a handbook. Where's the handbook to the machine? They didn't know. It took 30 minutes. It was in the bottom drawer of the foreman's office in the middle of the plant, still wrapped in plastic. Men don't read handbooks. I don't read no stupid handbook. Give me a hammer and a screwdriver. I'll slap something or turn it. We'll make it work. I'm not reading on that small print. Open the handbook up. Every handbook's the same. I don't care what it is. In the back of every handbook is a section called troubleshooting. Now, I'm the engineer. I'm getting paid big money. Nobody's looking at me. They don't care. They're slapping stuff and hitting stuff and pushing buttons, and I'm over here. I'm looking at the troubleshooting section. I'm trying to say, okay, number one, have you done that? Mm-hmm, two, yeah, three. That. It was either number four or number five. It said this in the handbook. It's machine plugged in. <laughs> Nobody knows what I saw. I close it up. So I walk down to the end of the machine. It's got about 18 inches between it and the wall. I was a lot skinnier back then. And I'm looking, and I'm looking for a 220 plug. Well, it's dark, and there's tobacco spit and trash and coffee cups that not there. I turn sideways, I ease down. And this thing's like 30 foot long, uh, 12 foot deep, 18 foot high. That's a massive machine. I, walk, I look down the back wall, and sure enough, halfway down, that 220 plug's hanging halfway out of the wall. Great. Nobody can see me. I turn sideways, I ease down the machine to get to it. Boom, I kicked that plug, and when I did, the machine came on. You can hear the applause. Hey! Hey, Joe, it's working! It's working, Joe! You gotta work it! You know. Well, it took about a minute to get back out. Everybody slapped me on the back, shaking my hand. I said, no problem. I said, if it tears up again, call me. Because you don't tell a grown man at 2.30 in the morning, hey, stupid, did you not check the plug? So Charlie McPhail, my boss, owns it. He's the plant man. Great guy. Red-headed guy from, uh, went to Michigan State. And he called me the next morning and said, Joe, really appreciate you fixing that last night. I said, no problem. So he's sitting at his desk. I'm at a table in front of his desk. Is it going to happen again? Yes, sir. Oh, man. It's going to happen. Do I need to call the manufacturer in? No, it's not the manufacturer's problem. Well, what was wrong with it? I said, it was unplugged. And he's, he's writing down. He said, what? It was unplugged, Charlie. So he laid his pencil down. I said, are you invoicing us for that? Yeah, I've already turned it into accounting. That's, a, <laughs> that's an expensive plug. I said, now, Charlie, and I knew him really well. He was real good to me. Worked for him for four years. And 
And Charlie, your operator could have checked the plug, but the foreman could have checked the plug. The supervisor could have checked the plug, but they didn't. I checked the plug because I read the book. Because it came with a book. Now, I bet you after today I'll never have to read that book again for them, huh? No, sir. I said, I figured that. So that's why this is costing so much to teach everybody how to read the book. Now, the reason I tell you that is because you and I came with a book. But nobody reads the book. I ask people all the time. We do about 80 seminars a year. It's our 25th year. And I was an education director around a Christian school for about 10 years and worked on church staff. And, and so people would ask for prayer. So what, well, what are we standing on? Because I just can't pray nothing. God watched over his word. So what two or three scriptures, the mouth of two or three witnesses thing is established, what two or three scriptures can you give me? John 3, 16. I don't think that apply for this. No, we need another one. And it didn't take me long to realize we have Christians in church, paying their tithes, going on mission trips, volunteering. They don't read the book. Mark 4 says when the word comes, the devil comes immediately. The one thing the devil's terrified of is this book and our heart coming out of our mouth. And it's the only offensive weapon we possess. That's why 3 John 2, Joshua 1 and 8, and Psalm 1, 1 through 3, if you meditate in this day and night, you'll prosper and have good success. Over and over. What, what scares hell? This. What honors God? This. What does God inhabit? This. That means you gotta put, you can't wait till you feel like, well, I don't feel like it. I don't care what I feel like. I'm putting my face in the book. I don't care if I go to sleep, you know, I'll wake up and start reading again. You gotta get in the Word of God. So, these least on church staff and they're saying, my pastor Joe, we gotta do something. Our families are in horrible shape. We had a, this is the late 70s, we had about 3,000 people in our church. We had the first mega church in Oklahoma. We don't know why they're coming. We don't. They're just starting to show up. It's one of those crazy, charismatic word of faith. I don't know why they're coming. People say, you have bus ministry? Uh Uh-huh. We have three Sunday morning services. We've got three buses at every service. Where are you getting your kids from? We don't get them from anywhere. We bust them away from the church. If you're 5 to 12, there are three buses out front. Do not bring your child in this building. We don't have room for them. You put them on that bus. We've rented a shopping center a mile down the road, and we're going to have classes down there. And then nobody did that. So we didn't know. It wasn't us. We were just God. Well, one day they stopped showing up. We went from 3,000 to 2,500, from 2,500 to 2,000, from 2,000 to 1,500, from 1,500 to 1,000. Then we dropped 750. Now, what did we do? I don't know. We didn't know what we did to begin with. All of a sudden, we had to become a real church that went after real people with real needs and minister. We hadn't been ministering. We'd just been kind of running a sideshow. All of a sudden, God began to show up again. What happened? Well, we need real people who do real things for real people. The Bible says you, you and I, we, we give water to thirsty people, food to hungry people. We help orphans. We help widows. We visit people in prison. We nurse sick people back to health. What are we? We're a hell stomping machine. We're not just organizing something. We're trying to fix hell. We can't fix it if you don't go find it. Well, we started this class on parenting on Sunday evening because our kids were a mess. We got counseling Monday through Friday. Our big old mega church. What's the problem? My kids. Then it was my husband and my wife. And our money, and our health, and our kids, my wife, my husband, our money, and our kids. It's like, I think we found a problem. So we need a class. So we started a class Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. Horrible time to have a class. So depending on what we taught, determined who showed up. We taught on child abuse. The only people that showed up are people who wanted to beat their kids legally and not get arrested. <laughs> oh, you're laughing. I'm serious. You taught, on, you taught about teaching sex. Everybody showed up. Nobody wanted their kids to get pregnant. You talk about getting your kids into college, the only parents showed up, kids trying to get a scholarship for the kids. So everybody hath a psalm, hath a need, and hath an opinion. So we did that for eight and a half years. You know, you do that long enough, you sort of get the big idea. God's good, devil's bad, people are ignorant. God's good, devil's bad, people are so weak. We need the Word of God. 
you've got to get the Word of God in you. So we're going to do that, and, and the people begin to ask us to come out. Well, we've got six kids, you know, and said, we can come to Wichita, yeah. Can you come to Dallas? Can you come to Forest? Sure. So we're going like three weekends a month, uh, Friday and Saturday in seminars, and just having a good time. We, we didn't think it was a ministry. God spoke to us, and one day I'm going to take you all over the country, and you're going to minister to families. In the last days, God promised this. I'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. There's a revival among the home today. You won't read about it in the paper because the devil controls the paper. You won't read about it on the news because the devil controls the news. Good news does not sell. Bad news sells. I don't care what news you're watching. Hey, we just had a bad report come in. Right after this commercial, we'll come right back and give it to you. And people, they just keep staring all day at bad news. You know, you pass a, a bad wreck on the interstate, everybody stops. Everybody wants to see what hell has happened. You pass 12 people in a circle inside the, the interstate praying, nobody looks. They just keep driving. It's just the way the world is. So, but well, how we change this? So we started the class on parenting. It took about two years to realize we've got to back it up and not start on marriages. So here it is. This is the essence of it. God made marriage. He said, he that finds a wife finds a good thing, obtains favor from God. And I was in church and I read that scripture. I thought, that, that's a lie. But I didn't find no good thing. It took me about three minutes to realize, I got somebody else's good thing. I got somebody else's good thing. Somebody's got my good thing. I got the wrong good thing. Can I take this good thing back and change it? Because I got the wrong. Because there's no way this is a good thing. Because at least I could not agree on nothing. Nothing. was. I'm never right. You're right. I'm wrong. You're smart. I'm stupid. Nothing. What is this? And, and so for years I tried to change it. I'll change it. Bless God, I'll change it. We would fight over the dumbest stuff, you know. And we don't drink pop anymore. We did. Uh, my family drank Coca-Cola. It's the real thing. It says so on the bottle. My family, her family drank Pepsi. And Pepsi's a watered-down children's drink. I don't want sissified Pepsi. I want a real Coca-Cola. So Joe, get us a Pepsi. And I come home with a Coke. Joe, I want a Pepsi. Honey, your family messed up your taste buds. This is the real thing. They ruined you. Take this. You'll, this will be better. My family used Tide detergent. Tide. Tide. We've got to get some skank out Tide. Her family used Cheer. I don't know cheer. I need some time. I don't know stinking cheer. You know, and so uh, we, we'd fight over that. And, and, and then, uh, you know, we'd go out places. And I'd pick, the one thing, she'd pick something else. And then she'd start asking me about feminine stuff. I don't buy no feminine stuff. So I finally realized I've got to try. So there's a big ball game on one Saturday. I'm going to town for, to do some stuff. And I'm coming home. And she's sitting with a bottle of base makeup. She said, Joe, when you come back, take this empty bottle. Go into dealers and get me another bottle of this. Fine. So I remember I'm coming home. got to get home time with the ball game. Oh, i got to go to Dillard. So I pulled in. Well, it's Thanksgiving weekend. The place is packed like a sardine can. i got to park out in the South 40. I go in and go up the second floor to the makeup section. I forgot the doggone bottle in the truck. And I thought, I am not going back after that bottle. So I went in and I asked the makeup lady. I said, ma'am, where's your base at? And she knew she had an ignorant husband on her hand. She smiled. She said, that will be aisle two and aisle three. No, ma'am, it's just a little bottle. Yes, sir. It will be aisle two and aisle. Now they weren't long aisles, but I walked through the valley of the shadow of beige. And I thought, how ignorant can they make a woman? And I thought, too light, too dark, just right. And I picked one right in the middle of them. So I went home with it and set it on the table. I'm heading in to watch the ball game. Denise yelled at me, Joe, what is this? Honey, that's that beige stuff you sent me at. So this is not the stuff I know, babe. Not, we're real honest with one another. I left the bottom of the truck. I was already in there. And hey, beige is beige. Joe, if I put this on, I'm going to look like Bozo the Clown. And she made me go to the bathroom, just put a little on, sure no light. Yeah, that's ugly. <laughs> so we fought over the dumbest stuff. We're driving to Fayetteville, Arkansas one day, and I'm praying about some stuff, and 
I've always been, I know how to pray, and all of a sudden things aren't moving real quick. That's like the, there's a log jam in my prayer deal going on. So I'm just talking. Denise and I having a wonderful time. We're laughing and talking. God, what is it? What's wrong with my prayer life? Do I need to repent or bind or lose? What, what, what? And all of a sudden I heard this. Now, you don't have to believe this. This is me. I'm not answering prayer because of the way you treat your wife. Now, I knew First Peter 3. Don't give evil for evil, railing for railing, but on the contrary, give it a blessing that you might inherit a blessing. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to the prayers, but the face of God is against those that do evil. He's talking to husbands and wives that are born again. I thought, I treat my wife good. I, I, I'm not bad at my wife. I love my wife. And I heard these words. God said, your wife likes Pepsi. <laughs> now, you can laugh all you want. I'm just sitting there. I didn't even know they knew Pepsi existed in heaven. Who cares about Pepsi? <laughs> And I heard it again. It's real soft. I said, your wife likes Pepsi. And I thought, oh, man. Oh, man. So we pulled into a shopping mall. Right? So we got into Fayetteville. We're going to do a seminar. I pulled in. I said, honey. And she laughs all the time. We like to laugh a lot. I said, honey, I need to apologize and repent. I have been one sorry husband. But I'm about to change. I said, uh, if you come with us, let's go in here to Dillard's. You can take just about an hour. I want you to tell me some stuff. So we walked. Because I always fought over getting makeup. And I don't get sissy stuff. We walk into the makeup section of Dillard's, and I said, now, honey, what, what kind of mascara is it you use? What brand is that? What number? What, what kind of perfume do you like, citrus or floral? Okay, what kind of hairspray? You know, what size of clothes, bras, panties, underwear, pantyhose, what size dress, blouse? What, what, what brand do you like? And I wrote it all down. It's on my cell phone right now. And so if you ever come to my house, we don't drink pop. But if I'm traveling, uh, we were in South Carolina doing a minister's conference this last weekend. If I'm traveling, they only have pop to drink before God. Joe, what would you like? I got Coke or Pepsi. I want Pepsi. I'm a Pepsi drinker. If you come to our house and we have cheer, you cheer. I grew up with outside dogs. Bite your leg off and they don't have papers with them. My wife wanted inside dogs. She, she got this little shisu. I used to stick a T in there. It sounded different. Sh- sh- shisu. Sh- shisu. Who would own a dog like that? My wife likes inside dogs, so it, it, it sleeps on the foot of the bed. All the time. It's down there. All the time. Uh, my wife loves that dog. So when we travel, she takes that dog with us. And I realize my wife loves that dog. That's God, I love that dog. So we stop at a, we stop at a, a rest stop on Interstate 40, and we're getting out, and Nick's going to go to the restroom. She says, Joe, can you walk it? No, I'd love to walk that dog, baby. Let me get that thing. Come on, honey, let's go for a walk. And I carry plastic gloves because you've got to pick the poop up. So I'm out there with other men who are walking the Great Danes, and, you know, they're big dogs, and they're boxers, and i got my little shit set. Hey, guys, how you doing? Uh, she's sick. And when that dog takes a move, I pick its little shitsu stuff up and throw it away. Now, I'm not trying to do this to be funny. I'm trying to let you know something. For God so loved, for God so loved, for God so loved he gave. Love's not about what you get. Love's about what you give. Love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. You tell somebody I love you, you get out your billfold, your 401K, your hunting dog, your bass boat, your rod and run, you pile that on the table. And the next time you say I love you, hey, honey, I love you. Because if love's not costing you something, it's not love. That's why people get married every day. I used to take my seniors to divorce court every year for four hours. Field trip today, guys, going to McDonald's, we're going to divorce court. I want you to see what's going on. Now, Tulsa County has a balcony in the divorce court. Now, guys, before we go in here, you're going to hear every nasty four-letter word you've ever heard and some you've never heard before, spoke between two people who at one time swore their undying love for one another. I love you. I love you. You're lying. That kind of love has it's a six-syllable word. It lasts about 18 months, and it just shuts off one night. 
It's not the real love. It's not the agape where I'm going to give my love. Because a, a wedding is a funeral. Hallmark's got the cards all wrong. It should say, I'm so sorry I heard you got married. <laughs> because if you don't die at that ceremony, you're a half-dead zombie. You smell like one, you sound like one. No. No, this is a covenant. I swear before God and witnesses from this day forward, I'm living for you, not me. I don't exist anymore. My life is now your life. I'm going to make your life better. I've always told people when I get to heaven, I want to hear after, after my wife thanks the Father for Jesus, I want to be the second thing that comes out of her mouth. And Father, the second thing I want to thank you for is my husband. Because, man, did he ever love me. That was a good man. I want to have that testimony. And that's my goal every day. Because we deal with a big family. and said, well, she's this and he's that and she's that. No, 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 you're, you're messed up. They're, they're dead. They don't exist. So, so this, is the, this is the seminar, five minutes. All men have three needs. Well, you got four if you want to stretch it. All men have three job descriptions. Same with women. Men, here's your jobs. You have three jobs. I don't care whether you're married, single, divorced, doesn't matter. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. My job is to love my wife, not the Valentine sissified love. It's the giving sacrificial. I'm going to do whatever you need, and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to love my wife. So I remember thinking, I need to ask her what she wants, what she needs. And I don't want to ask. I'm already overloaded. Why would I ask for more stuff? And so uh, I changed for about a year and a half where Denise finally asked me to shut up. So don't ask anymore. You're fine. You're fine. I want to love my wife. Whatever you want, I'm going to make that happen. What you need, I'm going to make that happen. I'm either going to believe God or write a check. I am. What's happening? I'm Santa Claus stuck upside down in your chimney. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm a lover. I'm a leader. First Corinthians 11.3 is God is the head of Christ. Christ is over the man. Man's over the woman. Woman's over the children. Children's over the dog. Dog's over the cat. Cat's over the mouse. Mouse's over the cheese. Cheese's over the cracker. cracker. There's a pecking order in the kingdom of God. But the word head is not dictated. The word head in the Greek is source. God is the source of Christ. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. If you see me, you see my father. Jesus turns down to man, man, without me, you can't do a thing. But with me, all things are possible. A man's turning to his wife and said, baby, what do you need? I'm either going to write a check for it or I'm going to start believing God for it. I'm not your boss. I'm your servant. The head is the servant. Jesus said this, you want to be great in my kingdom? You will become the servant of all. It's not the dictator. It's not the boss. It's not the big brass thing. I can out hit, out cuss, out lie, out hunt, out fish. You're nothing. Can you outserve? Uh, there might be something there. We're supposed to be serving one another. So to lead means serving. The third thing is I'm a provider. First Timothy 5 8. Any man that does not financially take care of his family is worse than an infidel. He is the one who's denied the faith. And boy, that stretched the niche. We fought over that in a lot in those early years. Because, man, I'm dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven. Half of them have crooked teeth that have to get braces on. Two need, you know, special education to pass algebra because they can't seem to pass it. You know, they're wanting to go to field trips and summer camps and mission trips, and I'm bouncing checks like ping-pong balls on a concrete floor. And I just got mad one day. Denise is washing dishes, and I'm in the kitchen, and she'd mention something else I needed to do, and I'm stressed. I'm working two jobs and a third one on the side, and I'm, I'm getting mad. And she said one more thing, and I just started screaming. I said, it's never enough, is it? It's just never stinking enough, is it? And she looked up real calm. No, Joe, you need to make more money. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Like, I thought that was my point. What, what? So I realized my job is to be a provider. You only get paid for two things on this planet. You get paid for what you know or for what you can do. And if you don't know more than somebody else and you can't do more than somebody else, you don't get paid more than somebody else. People don't hire you because you need a job. They hire you for what you can do for them. 
So I need to increase my worth, not gripe at the gut stinking, government stinking, economy stinking, Congress. No, it's no stinking. No, it's my fault. God said he had prospered me, everything I set my hand to. Work all things out to my good. I've got to be like Isaac, living in a country in a time of drought. Drought. Yet that year his cattle increased a hundredfold. His sheep increased a hundredfold. His crop, who are, I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed from the curse of law, which is poverty. Everything I set in my hand is going to prosper. God surrounds me with divine favor. People like me, and they don't even know why. I've got to become a child of God and start acting like instead of accusing. Because every time you point a finger in one direction, there's three more pointed back towards your face. It's never somebody. It's not your daddy's fault or your mama's fault or your boss's fault or your teacher's fault. Or, and we've got more people singing sad songs because as long as you can blame somebody, you have no responsibility. It'll never change. I, men's, we do our men's retreats. This guy went to us, men's. My dad left my mom. My mom never didn't love me. My teacher wouldn't pass it. My coach wouldn't play me. My dog bit me. My wife left me. I said, how long do you want to sing a sad song? Because as long as you can blame somebody, you don't have to do nothing. You're a five-year-old thumb-sucking, sissified individual. God's looking for adults. Who would like to grow up and be somebody? And we spend our life helping others, not trying to get helped ourselves. So I said, we're going to change this. So I'm a provider. So I realized, okay. So I went back to night school. He said, how'd you become an engineer? I'm bouncing checks like a ping pong ball on a concrete floor. Seven years of night school, sitting in a desk that won't even fit me. I hated trigonometry in high school, sine, cosine, and tangerine. Who cares? Well, I need that for gear ratios to work at this plant. So I'm driving down. I'd ask more. No, I didn't get that. Can you explain that again? And he hated me being in that class, but... Buddy, I got it. Got my degree. Got a great job. And then I still do. I'm, I'm still in another degree right now because we started ministry. I, I'm still, I'll be in school until Jesus comes to get me. I'm going to keep learning more and more about families, what I do. I'm getting better at it. So there's still time for kissy face. Trust me. Ladies, here's your three. Number one, you're a helper. God's going to make, a, make you help me. Now, the first half of that word is helper. Helper. Got to get the whole word in. Well, ladies, you can't help somebody that's not doing anything. My, I got five dogs. When they started dating, we had rules for dating. Who you can date, when you can date, and so forth. So number one, you can date. Anybody ask you on a date? The answer is yes. You don't have to lie. I'm really busy for the next 12 years. Some guy at school says, can you go out Friday night? Well, you'll need to ask my mom or dad. All our dates are screened through then. You're kidding. No, here's the number. Just call them. And so they'd go, Dad, I don't want to go out with this guy. So some guy will call. Mr. Gadlock, like take your daughter out Friday night. I remember the first time this happened, I said, no. It's quiet on the phone. Mr. McGee, you there? Yeah, I'm here, son. What is it? I was calling to get permission to take your daughter out Friday night. No. I'm sorry, are you there, Mr. Gee? I'm here, son. What is it? I'm calling to get permission to take Jessica out Friday night. No. Why not? I don't need an answer. They're my daughters, they're not yours. I don't need an answer. Was there something wrong? Mm hmm. Just the answer's no. Now, that sounds ugly, but I've, I've worked with teenagers my whole life. I've done funerals for teenagers in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. Somebody's got to get a standard. No. Well, they call him, Dad, I want to date this guy. It's fine. All right. So I said, okay, here's the deal. They knew what the deal was. Let's get like to take your daughter out Friday. No problem. I think that'll be good, but I need to see you for 30 minutes before Friday night. I can see you after school, after church, after a ball game. You can come to the house for some pie and coffee if you want to. Kid came for pie and coffee. Great kid. I like this kid a lot. Kid came somewhere during a 30-minute conversation. I'm going to ask one question I need an answer for Somewhere in all the gum flappy, how you doing in school and you Son, let me ask you this. What do you see yourself doing five years from now? Here's the answer he gave me. Well, so as I get out of high school, I'm going to get me a new job at the McDonald's down here in Bixby. I'm going to get me a Ford F-150 pickup, a Beretta 300 shotgun, and a new hunting dog. That's exactly what he said. 
I thought, that's good. So I said, well, son, you need to have another piece of apple pie. Well, that's all you're getting at this house. Because I know you're laughing. I didn't do this to be funny. I said, son, we've raised our daughters up to be helpmeets to men going someplace. Now I'm fully confident with the vision you have. You don't need any help getting there. You can get there all by yourself. So the other girls would do this. They'd come in and they'd say, uh, they learn, you know, when we finally started marrying them off. I said, okay, you know, they, I need a five-year plan. You better, be, you better have something with you. So then before they got married, they were already, they're engaged, they're going to get married. The last two things I asked of all the boys that married into my family was, I need two more things from you. I need you to bring that updated five-year plan because it's been a while. Give me an updated five-year plan. And number two, I want your last 12 bank statements from the last year. And they said, why? Uh, because uh, I want to make sure you're a tither. Because if you're not a tither, you're under a financial curse. I don't care how good-looking you are. I don't care how much money you're making. If my daughter marries a man who is not a tither, 20 years from now, she's going to look like she's been drugged down the interstate behind a bumper of a car, wore out trying to support your sorry self because you're under a curse financially. So you will be a tither. You're not married in this family. So I like this kid. This kid came in, and I'm going over it. And I went over it three times. And my son... You're not a tither. I sure am. I've always been a tither. No, you're a seven percenter. I don't know what seven is, but it's not a tenth. Well, I'll change that. And he's a great kid, a great kid. And I said, well, good. And he changed it. I said, well, that son, you need to understand that means the wedding's not going to happen in the next two months. We're going to have to cancel it. You're going to have to be a tither for a year before you marry into my family. I don't want you to do it because of me. I need you to be a tither for a solid 12 months. So the wedding was delayed. He married my daughter. Gave him my first two grandsons. He runs all my radio ministry for me today and a lot of other stuff. He's real sharp. Got his master's. But he did what I asked. There's a standard. Because people, we're in love. No, you're not. You don't know what love is. Love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. You can't even spell it right now. Love's what you're going to do for somebody, not what you're getting. This is not a game show thing. So you've got to be a lover, a leader, and a provider. Ladies, you're going to do this. It's like you're going to help somebody. Number two, you're the manager of the home. First Timothy 5.14, men aren't the head of the home. Women are the head of the home. I don't care where you sit at the couch. I don't care what color the wall is. I just want to know where my coffee cup is. That's all I want to know. I got my coffee cup. I'm a happy man. Then Titus 2, 4 says, Older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children. It's not something you're born with. An older, mature woman has to teach you how to do that. God made this so we would be really good. God wants us to have the kind of families that makes others jealous. First Peter 3, I want you to have the kind of marriage that makes others jealous. Well, you got lucky. No, I didn't. Nobody's lucky. God, the devil, heaven, and hell. We learned the word of God says... And we're busy building a family. We didn't find one. So let's stand up. Let's stand up. Uh, traveling gives me an opportunity to hear a lot of testimonies and stories. Uh, I fly all the time. Uh, so I fly all these. I got frequent, frequent flyer cards with everybody, but most I fly American 95% of the time because American has the number one maintenance program in America. And when you're at 30,000 feet, you cannot pull over to the side of the road. So I don't fly with them for any other reason. They have the number one maintenance program. But because I do, I get bumped to first class all the time. I flew first class coming down, and I don't pay a dime for it. They like me. I'm a good customer. So I get bumped all the time. Well, in first class, you meet a lot of unique people. You really do. Now, I do two things in first class. I either sleep or I'm reading something. And so I get in my seat, and this elderly gentleman comes in because you get to board first. And he comes in and sits down. And for an older guy, got a sweater vest, looks real refined. I guess he's retired. He looked like it. And so he sat down just laid his head back. I thought, that's what I'm going to do in a minute. So I keep working, and all of a sudden, plane's loading up, and a young businessman in a suit comes in, sits down next to him, slides his briefcase under, gets out his laptop. Now, I can't see much. I can see through the crack. He stopped, and he keeps looking at the older guy like he knows him. He's tapping away, and finally he reaches over, and he punches. And all I can see is the back top half of their head. 
He punched the guy like, I think he must be a friend. He said, sir, sir. And the guy looked, sir, can I ask you a question? He said, I fly all the time first class. I got a little game I love to play when I fly first class. I like, I like to ask you a question. And if you can't answer it, you owe me $5. So what did he say? And they said, but, but then, then you can ask me a question. And if I can't answer it, I'll give you 500 Now, there's no way I heard that. And I'm trying. So all of a sudden, so, okay, let me ask you a question. Here's, and I heard him say this. So, so let me ask you, your question is, how far is it from the earth to the moon in miles? And you can see this guy's looking at him. I can't see his face, but you see he's just staring at him. Finally, he leaned in like he's going to answer him, but no, he's reaching for his billfold. He pulled out a five-dollar bill, and he handed it to him. Laid back down, closed his eyes. Well, the young man said, no, 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 it's your turn. It's your turn. You get to ask me something now. The guy sat back up, just stared at him a minute. He said, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? What did he say? The guy said, what? He said, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? And the guy just laid his head back down. The young man said, look, well, he gets his laptop out. I guess he's Googling. He's just firing away. You know, plane's about full. So finally gets on his cell phone. Hey, hey, Frank, Frank, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? You ever heard that? You don't know that? You know anybody knows that? Okay. Hey, Bill, Bill, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? You ever heard that? You don't know? Have you ever Googled it? You don't know? Find the students. I'm sorry, you'll have to close off your electronic equipment. The doors closed. They're about to take off. And you can tell the guy's upset, and I can't see his face. Slammed his laptop, and he just stared at the old guy who's asleep. Sits there a minute, you know, we're, tacked, we're being pushed back. So the guy reaches his billfold, pulled out five $100 bills, folded them over, punched the elderly gentleman, and into him. The old guy looked at him, grabbed him, stuck in his pocket, laid his head back down. <laughs> the guy said, well, What's the answer? The guy said, I'm sorry, what? What's the answer? What goes up a hill with three legs come down four? The guy leaned in like he's going to whisper it, reached his pocket, grabbed the file on the building, handed it to him. <laughs> Most people are going through life trying to out-brag, out-hit, out-shoot, out-fish, out-talk, out-cuss somebody else. That's not us. We're going through life trying to out-serve everybody. It's not who we are. It's who we're trying to help. If you do it starting in your own marriage, your spouse will start sucking lips off your face. Your kids will start hugging your neck. We didn't get into the kid thing, man. Luke 252, Jesus, good and wisdom, stature, favor of God, and favor of man. We got great kids. I don't have perfect kids. They didn't have perfect parents. But man, we, got a, we got a great bunch of kids that I love, and uh, they're a great blessing to us today. Now, here's what I'm going to do. It's real simple and real different. If you're here with your spouse, turn and face them. If you're here with somebody you'd like to be their spouse, turn and face them. <laughs> If you're here with somebody and you don't want a spouse, don't do this. <laughs> but I believe in confessing the Word of God, so just for people that are either spouses or want to be, we'll start with the men and the men only. It's real short. Men, look at that darling of yours and say this after me. Say, darling. darling. Come on, we're in Texas. Darling, I love you. I promise you, according to the Word of God, I will be a lover, a leader, and a provider to you for you and for our family. Forgive me of any sin I have committed against you, against our family, or against our own flesh. I receive that forgiveness with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Ladies and ladies only, darling, I love you. I promise you, according to the Word of God, I will be a helper a manager of our home, and a lover to you, for you, and for our family. I will do you good and not evil all the days of our life. 
Forgive me of any sin I have committed against you, against our family, or against our own flesh. I receive that forgiveness with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. All right, guys, do what comes natural. Pucker up and kiss him real good. <laughs> our heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. And the Holy Spirit, we give you permission. Bring to our remembrance what we've learned. May we have the kind of marriages, the kind of families that provoke other people to jealousy to where they will ask us about the hope that's in us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for 60 seconds. Nobody looking for one short minute. Two questions if you're here this morning. Nobody looking. Are you here to say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart, but I believe God's been dealing with me, and I'd like to do something about that this morning. If that's you, I'd like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I am not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm simply going to ask you in a few seconds, if that's you, to raise your hand and wave it at me and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. Or perhaps you're here today and you say, Joe, I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. But, Joe, I've been stirred this morning. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. I let him save me. I'm just not yielded to his lordship. So today, Joe, I want to rededicate my life. I want Jesus Christ not just to be my Savior. I want him to come and be the Lord of my life, my family, my future, my faith. Joe, I'm ready for the lordship of Jesus. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer out of Romans. We're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. He will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will put it in the depths of the sea. There will be no record of your sin in heaven, and God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, said, Joe, that's me. I need to get born again this morning. Would you pray that prayer for me? Or, Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life. If that's you on either count, would you just get your hand up and wave it and put it right back down? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you there. Anyone else? Never get easy in this. God does not thank you right there. God does the saving. God does the forgiving. He just needs our permission. Anyone else? Joe, I've not raised my hand yet. Please, including your prayer. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Hands down. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hands this morning, we're going to pray with you. And God's going to do the two greatest miracles he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's help them pray. Everybody in there, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me. And you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the four hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a simple reaffirmation, their faith in you according to your holy word and their obedience is of right now they are cleansed forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow. As they lead today, Father, surround them with a shield of divine favor. May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And, Father, bring godly friends into their life that will begin to strike iron and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless. Pastor.